Are you longing for a real life change and lasting impact? At More To Be, we believe that is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Lisa Pulliam, the founder of More To Be, host of the More To Be podcast, and I'm here to help you think biblically and live transformed, to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. In this episode, I am joined by speaker, author, and board-certified clinical neuropsychologist, Dr. Michelle Bengston, who is also a wife, mother, and my friend. I'm so excited that she is here. Her story is profound. She knows pain and despair firsthand and combines her professional expertise and personal experience with her faith to address issues surrounding medical and mental disorders, both for those who suffer and for those who care for them. Michelle offers sound practical tools, affirms worth, and encourages faith. And you could find her at drmichellebengston.com. She offers hope as a key to unlock joy and relief in the middle of the storm. And today we're going to be talking about breaking anxiety, anxiety's grip in light of her new book that came out uh, this, this fall of 2019. Based on when you're listening to this, I don't know when that will be, but it did come out in the fall of 2019. So Michelle, welcome to the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Well, thanks, Lisa. It's good to be back together again, finally. I know. So uh, for our listeners, we met the first time face-to-face at a loom, and, and then we had a little part together in Women Leading Women, and then we kind of all went in our own ministry direction. So why don't you tell our listeners uh, what your story is about, what you do currently, maybe start with that, what you do currently, and then kind of give us a back story of like, how did you get to this place before we dive into this topic of anxiety? Okay. I am a board certified clinical neuropsychologist. That's what I do as a profession, but I also speak and I write full time. And as a neuropsychologist, I have seen patients for close to three decades. Mm-hmm who struggle with any kind of brain disorder. So I see a lot of patients after they've had a head injury or a stroke, or if there's a question, if a patient's dealing with dementia or is it depression. And over the course of my career, I've seen thousands of patients who struggle with depression and anxiety, even as part of a medical condition. You know, Mm -hmm. so often after someone goes through treatment for cancer or for a heart attack or a stroke, they then plummet into because their life is so different. So Mm -hmm. I may be seeing them because of the depression or I could be seeing them because of the medical condition that they have. And my goal then is to assess to see what areas of their brain are really have suffered or are impaired and what can we do to get them back to optimal functioning as much as possible. In the case of dementia, we can't reverse dementia, Mm -mm. but we can work to try to help them do what they can to maintain where they are and to help their family members understand what it is they're going through to be able to care for them with empathy and compassion. Mm. Boy, that is everything you just said. I'm like, oh my word, I can talk to her about this and this and this and this and this. Like I know you as the writer and the speaker and and your personal story. I often forget your, your clinical part of it, which I just said to somebody the other day, if I could go back and do my life all over again, I would do neuropsychology because I'm being trained in trauma-focused equine-assisted psychotherapy. And Dr. Bruce Perry, is he a name that means something to you? Yes. Uh-huh. 
So learning about how the brain functions as a byproduct of trauma and how to heal through connected relationships and patterned, predictable, rhythmic environments and all that stuff in trauma. Uh, I'm like, man, if I knew this could have been a field, I'd redo my life and study that and help people in that part. And at the same time, we're also walking through life with aging parents and, and seeing a combination of dementia and depression and wondering which, which is it? Is it dementia or is it depression? So we might need to do a whole episode on caring for aging parents and have you educate us on that. And that's so needed because our generation is now getting to the point where we are taking care of aging parents who are living longer, but quality of life is not necessarily better. And it's hard. It's hard both on the patient, but it's so hard on the caregivers too. It is. It is. And you know, the interesting dynamic in terms of caregivers is that when it's a parent, then you have the siblings and the married-ins and the exes and all of those people and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. Everybody has an opinion and it's hard to figure out what do we do? Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. I've spent a lot of my career working with family members to try to help them understand, but also to help them maintain a level of self-care because oh. there can be a lot of caregiver burnout because yeah. of exactly the issues that you're raising. You know, it's not usually just one person who's providing the care. There's always lots of other input. Yeah be so stressful and it's particularly stressful when you're dealing with a patient who doesn't recognize that they have deficits yes and as a result of the deficits they often do experience things like depression so that's why patients come into my office oh my word yes okay so we're going to book another session as soon as okay. we get off it and i'm going to have you help us in an area that we've never addressed on the podcast before and i think it's really important so back to you and Let's, let's go back to maybe your childhood or even your young adult years. Like what led you to have this personal passion regarding anxiety and depression? I didn't know it then, but when I was growing up, I experienced a lot of anxiety and I was raised in a home with a mother who was depressed the entire time I was growing up, but oh. we didn't have that term for it. Mm -mm. At that point, I, that's just the way mom is, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but I experienced when I was three, three days after my third birthday, I became deathly ill and had a fever of 107. And so doctors were concerned, first of all, that I would die. But second of all, that if I lived, that I would have long-term cognitive impairment and physical deformities. And so their goal was just to get that fever down. So my parents did everything the doctors told them to do, which included alcohol rubs and ice bath and nothing took that fever down. So doctors told my mom to give me aspirin, not knowing that I was deathly allergic to aspirin. Oh my and word. Having that aspirin then added a whole nother level of trauma because aspirin almost killed me. And as the result of having taken aspirin, I still live with physical deformities to this day. And so as a result of those deformities throughout my childhood, I was in and out of hospitals back in a day when parents weren't allowed to stay with their children. Oh no. And I think back now and I think that's where the enemy came in and brought a lot of anxiety because I was alone. And I mm -hmm. believed the lie that I was alone and that nobody cared. And you know, doctors were more concerned about getting the illness taken care of as opposed to tending to the needs like 
pain control and those mm-hmm. kinds. Of and I mm-hmm. have a really high pain tolerance, but still as a child, that brought in a lot of anxiety. And it's interesting now because as an adult, when I go back to family reunions, it's like walking into a living, breathing anxiety disorder. <laughs> so oh my word! Members struggle with worry, fear, and anxiety, and so that was part of my life. But a bigger part was growing up under a mother who was from another country. She wasn't even a United States citizen. And so there was culture shock for her and people would pick on her for her accent. And I don't think they were truly picking on her. I think they loved it because it was such a beautiful New Zealand accent. You just, Mm. you want to hear her talk Yeah, as someone who was insecure she took that as they were laughing at her. And so that fed the depression. And I didn't really realize how great she struggled until right before she died, she had lung cancer and the doctor gave her medication to help with her mood going through the treatment of lung cancer. And I'm telling you, she was like another person. Oh my word. Left. And I finally saw my mother experience joy right before she died. sad and so I kind of made it my mission then to work with patients struggling with depression and anxiety because I know they don't have to live that way yeah Christ follower I believe that God doesn't want us to live that way right but there's so much that goes into that and what our belief system is and the people we were raised around and while I wasn't depressed as a child I was reared by somebody who was depressed. So yeah. she modeled a depressed framework for me, you know, oh. always half empty. And so even though I wasn't depressed, that's how I was taught to view the world. Wow. Instead of looking at things with a heart of gratitude and the Lord has really worked with me to change my perspective over the years. But a few years ago, I became deathly ill again. I was in fact working with patients in my private practice and I bent over in so much pain. And And the long and the short of that is that I ended up going to the emergency room and, and it took them quite a while to come up with the accurate diagnosis. And through that, they treated me for multiple different things I didn't have and it made things worse. And I ended up on bed rest, medically induced bed rest for five months and before that, I was a very strong type A go-getter. Yeah. Where, um, you know, I was working 100 hours a week at the point that I became ill. And wow. I would work at the private practice until midnight. I'd go home, I'd take a shower, I'd take a nap, and I'd be back at the private practice by 3 or 4 in the morning. And this was not God's way. No. I to hear this was not something God put on me. It was a mentality that started in my teenage years when my father died. And the very first thought I had, my mother was not from this country and she was not educated. So when my father died, when I was a young teen, the first thought I had is, what do I have to do to support the family? Mm -hmm. And that became my MO. So when anything difficult would happen, I would jump in and I would do more and I would try harder. And that was never God's plan. You know, God says Mm -hmm. in his word that he's our provider and that grace is sufficient, but I believe the lie that if it's going to be, it's up to me. Yeah. And God let me live that way until I couldn't, until I became so deathly ill that mm. I was on bed rest. I went from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74 pounds, <gasps> which oh, is 30 Michelle. pounds lighter than I am today. 
and um, I was kept alive on IV hydration and nutrition and I couldn't be the doctor. I could no longer do and my worth was so wrapped up in what I did instead of knowing who I was just as a daughter of the Most High God. Mm-hmm. I wasn't at that point yet. And so that illness, what the enemy intended for harm, God used for good because it changed so much. I finally got to the point that I went into a deep, dark depression. So dark that I remember telling God, if this is going to be my life, I don't think I want to live. Mm-hmm. And I was a believer. I was a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I want people to know that depression can hit anybody. Yes, it can. It doesn't matter if you, I mean, pastors are struggling with depression. We've, we've just lost a friend. And so I want people to hear that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. No, there are no. so many people in the Bible who struggled with depression. And yeah. I'm grateful that God tells us about their experience mm-hmm. because the enemy would like to shame us and make us think that if you struggle with depression or anxiety, you can't really be a Christ follower. You can't really be a believer. You right. have to have sin in your life. And I think about David. My goodness, mm-hmm. I read the Psalms and I feel like it's spiritual whiplash because yeah. Saying, why so downcast, oh my soul? And then the next minute he's praising God. Yes. Like that downcast part wasn't even there. And so I think if David could go through that, if Job could go through that, Job finally got to the point where he said, You shouldn't have even let me live. I know. I've said those words. I have said those words on more than one occasion. I'm like, What were you thinking? This was not a good idea. Right. Yeah. grateful because I've also lived through it to see yeah. what the enemy intended for harm. God will use for good. And, yeah. and I want people to know that God never wastes our pain. I would, I'd never want to go through that depression ever again, but it taught me so much. It was when I was in that deep, dark place and not sure I wanted to go on living that I, I tried everything yeah. that I previously told my patients to do. I got in counseling. I tried medication. I made sure I was eating right. I made sure I was prioritizing rest. I was getting exercise and all those things helped, but they were not enough to take the depression away. Mm-hmm. And so I finally had to call out to God and say, I cannot go back to being that doctor until you show me what the missing piece is because I'm doing everything I've told my patients to do. And I've never heard the audible voice of God but it was an impression so deep in my soul. And it was saying, you know, Michelle, until you address the spiritual roots of disease, it's like you were attempting to put a bandaid on an infection and hope it's going to get well. Yes. And that was earth shattering revelatory to me because Mm. I could look back and say, I had been addressing the physical. I had been addressing the emotional. I had been addressing the cognitive, but I had not been addressing the the spiritual side of depression. So that began my journey to really understand what is that? How does the spiritual side come into play with depression? And the key verse that God really used to teach me was John 10, 10. And that's the verse that Mm -hmm. says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Yes. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And when it comes to depression, The thief comes to steal our joy and kill our peace and destroy our identity. Yep. But 
Jesus came so that we could have that abundant life. But it means that we've got to do part of the work. And that's why when you and I were talking about what passage do we really want to go over today? I love the story of the lame man. Yeah. Because for the first part of my career, I would read that and I'd think, Jesus, why did you ask him if he wanted to get well? Of course he wanted to get well. He's laying there beside the pool, just waiting for someone to push him in. Yeah. And the longer I was in private practice, the more I've realized not everybody wants to do the work that it takes to get well. And for the lame man, he was saying, of course, I want to get well. Here I am at the pool. And so Jesus said, okay, but you're going to have to do something to get well. You're going to have to pick up your mat and walk. Yeah. Once the lame man got well, he wasn't going to be the lame man anymore. No. He actually had to get a job and work for a living. And I think in my private practice, I've seen so many patients who say they want to get well, but they don't want to do the work that it Mm -hmm. takes hard work. And I know it's hard work because when I was so deathly ill and in that sick bed, unable to work and so depressed, I had to do the work. I had to take in scripture. I had to use it yes knew my mind yes my mind got to the place where i believed the lie that i'll never forget the day when i spoke out loud i must just be joy immune because i was trying all the things mm-hmm. or so I thought. and yet i would see all these other people and they seemed so joyful and i thought mm. well i guess i'm just joy immune i'm never going to have that joy and sometime after that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, that's not what my word says. No. I said, well, what do you mean? And and so he took me to that place in scripture that says, though weeping may last for the night, my joy comes in the morning. So if I've promised you my joy comes in the morning, you cannot be joy immune. Mm -hmm. That was such a paradigm shift for me that then I really had to start exploring what are the other lies Mm -hmm. I believe. Like I believed I had to earn God's love. That's why I was working a hundred hours a week. Mm-hmm. I thought if I could just work more, see more patients, help more people. Maybe God would love me more. Yeah. And he showed me during that time, it didn't matter if I never went back to work. He wouldn't love me any less. Right. I could continue working myself into the ground and he wasn't going to love me anymore. He already loved me. He loved me so much. He sent his son to die for me so that we could put an end to depression and put an end to anxiety. So I really did the work to put the end to depression, but it was hard work. And there were days that I found myself thinking, God, this is just too hard. Yeah. But I had seen depression in my mother and my aunt and my grandmother. And so on those days when it seemed like too much work for me, Mm -hmm. I had two boys and I would look at those boys and think, they are worth it. Yeah, I really yeah. want to do the work for me, but I'm going to do it for them because this is going to end with my generation. The enemy is not going to steal from my children. Yeah. So for me and my mother and my aunt and my grandmother. So what did the work look like? Very practical. Maybe one, one practical thing you would have to do in that day besides harnessing the motivation through looking at your boys. I mean, that's a clear action step. Find the motivator. I had to search the scriptures for the truth and the promises in God's word 
that combated the lies I was believing. And then I would write those scriptures on a post-it note. Mm -hmm. These post-it notes ended, they were on my home IV pool. They were on my nightstand. They were on the, the light switch. They were on my bathroom mirror. And every time I would see them, mm -hmm. I would repeat that scripture three times. And the reason I did is because God's word says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so mm. I to hear that scripture so yeah. often that it got down into my soul so that I believed it. Yeah. By the time it was all said and done, I had over a hundred post-it notes all over the house. Yeah. Yeah. And it renewed my mind and it took me to the place where now when those lies try to creep back in, the Holy Spirit yeah. brings to remembrance God's truth. Yeah. But we can't bring to remembrance what we don't know. I know so I had to put the truth in so that he can bring it to my mind. So I've, I'm so glad that you said that as, as the way, I mean, in meet the new you, I, that's the whole book is built upon that trap. I call it the trap and transform trap, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So that's, you know, second Corinthians 10, five, and then Romans 12, two, you just quoted it, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And yet one thing that ha I have, I've gone through in like the last two years is realizing uh, that I was doing the, the battle for my legacy and overcoming the anger and overcoming what is an anxiety issue too in my generational line and OCD is in my generational line of um, the, the studying God's word and taking it in. Yet, I also needed to realize I needed counseling. I've also had to learn the impact of trauma on the brain and understand that connected relationships have been core to God's healing work in my life. And so, so interesting that we both come from different places and we each had a missing piece that's necessary for the healing. And so I would say to our listeners that see if you can gather the whole picture of the pieces of the puzzle. So let's just list those off like real quick again. So being in the word, studying God's word so the Holy Spirit can draw on it. But then also you mentioned some other things like diet, exercise, uh, rest, right? Which I'm in a season of, I call it Shabbating. I am learning how to practice a Sabbath rest, a 24 hour period away from all work. And I, I'm a recovering workaholic. Uh, so it's really great to have the word recovering be before the word workaholic. Uh, so rest, uh, seeing a, a clinical psychologist or a therapist and assessing need for medical care, right? Like medication as part of the process. So it's not that it's just one area to find wellness from depression and anxiety. It's all of these areas that have to be considered and that they're all part of the taking up the mat. Am I hearing you correctly? You are. And what I had been doing in my private practice was all of that, but without the spiritual component. Oh, really? In my field, unless a patient brings up the spiritual yes. side of things, we are not allowed to go there. Right. When they bring it up, then we can address it. But So I've had to be more creative about how I give the truth of God's word without going against the ethical code that we have. Yeah. But it's interesting because the Holy Spirit's so good because now that I know the importance of renewing the mind, he brings up opportunities. Yeah. So 
I had my first book that I wrote was about my depression and the journey through that and the insights that I'd learned. And now I can't look at anything without looking at it from a spiritual framework. Sure. Because that makes all the difference. It even makes a difference in terms of how I parent my children. Yeah. But it was after I wrote that, that readers said, okay, but when are you going to address anxiety? And I thought, I don't want to. (laughs) I'm just being honest. I I get it. I had just finished a book on depression and then I had finished writing a Bible study on depression. And so we had dealt with these heavy issues. I wanted to write a book about chocolate. Yeah, right. Or the beaches of Michigan. You know, I, I wanted something lighter. And so I said, no, I just, I don't want to take that on. But then I realized, well, first of all, I want to write what my readers need to hear. But second of all, anxiety and depression so often go hand in hand, not always. Yeah. Sometimes you can't tell which came first, but so often I saw people struggling with both. One was probably higher than the other, but they tend to hang around together. And so knowing that that was also in my family history, part of the reason I didn't want to write it is because you know, Lisa, that you've got to go through it to be able to write something that's helpful for others. And I thought, I'm I'm good. I don't don't want to deal with this. I don't want to go through that process. Yeah. Yeah. While at the same time, knowing it would be good for me. And it was because I had that core verse when I wrote Hope Prevails. But then God brought to me John um, 14, 27, where he Mm -hmm. talks about Jesus already came. He says, I came to give you peace, not as the world gives, but it's a different kind of peace. And so I thought, Lord, how do we then address this worry, fear, and anxiety? Because truly that is the common cold of mental illness. And the reason for that is because we all are going to struggle with it at some point, Mm -hmm. not necessarily to a diagnosable proportion, but I just dare you to find somebody who's never said, I'm just worried that, or if, oh yeah. What if for me is a clue that I'm headed down anxiety's path and I've got to stop it in the nip it in the butt. And so not only do we all struggle with worry or fear or anxiety at some point, Mm -hmm. but we come to accept it as if we can't do anything about it, mm-hmm. just like we've come to accept that in the wintertime, you're going to get a common cold. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't accept that anymore. I don't accept that it's a foregone conclusion I'm going to get a cold. I rebuke yeah. it and say, no, you don't have any place. <laughs> you know? But we, we need to do that with anxiety. Yeah. As well. And Second Timothy 1 says, 1, 7 says, for I have not given you the spirit of Mm-mm. fear but of power, love, and sound mind. So we know anxiety, worry, and fear don't come from God. Nope. And he says over 300 times in his word, do not fear, be anxious for nothing, don't worry about tomorrow. But I said, okay, Lord, you tell us not to do that, Mm -hmm. but we still struggle. And he said, Michelle, you need to read the second half of that verse. Yes. But I have given you power. I've given you love and I've given you sound mind. Those are your three tools in battle. Yep. People didn't really understand it because I'm telling you, I had read that verse hundreds of times. Yeah, yeah. So he really had to help me dig in and realize just how much power 
he gives his children. Yes. yes. There is power in the name of Jesus. Yes. Amen. There is power in our words. Mm -hmm. We just don't take enough time to slow down and think before we speak. Yeah. You know, when we say, well, I'm just worried that we just opened the door to let uh -huh. the spirit of fear come in. I have been very, very aware of that. And I just said it this morning as I drove the, the kids to school. I'm like, you guys have no idea how much fear I used to live in. And, and my son said, what do you mean? I'm like, I grew up in a family of origin, besides all the abuse and the dysfunction, um, with fear of the bad neighborhood. I mean, we're talking, oh my word, I turned down a street I've never seen before. I'm going to get gunned down and taken out. Like, and, and part of it was what my parents were raised in and what their generation was raised in. I mean, the Italian mob was a real thing. Like, yeah. the, you know, uh, race issues were real things. Neighborhood issues were real things in, in their experience growing up in, you know, outside of New York City in the boroughs. Like, that was part of their story. And I, uh, a couple of nights ago, I had to drive out to a meeting uh, to a, a city that I had never been before. It was going to be dark. I don't like to drive at dark. I knew that the outskirts, I could turn the wrong way and head into a very actually legit dangerous downtown area. If I didn't know where I was going, I could feel my heart racing mm -hmm. when I turned the wrong way on the map and I couldn't find a turnaround. And I knew I was heading straight for a downtown of an area where I should not be. My heart is racing. My, you know, I'm sweating. I'm having, a, I'm starting to have a panic attack. Yeah. And I was like, uh-uh, nope. I can turn this car around. Lord, you are with me. I will not fear. I will not allow this to impact me all the way home that I walk in the door and I'm a hot mess because almost and what if and could have and on and on and on. And as I was driving home, I was thinking, how much God has wanted to set me free from the fear of the bad neighborhood as a metaphor for the way I have lived my life in, in areas that I'm afraid to take a risk because of the what if. And, and how it required, I mean, when we, when we moved here, from the, the interview, uh, from the, the first call to the actual interview was three weeks for my husband. It was three months from the interview to when we moved. That was rapid fast after being in one place for 18 years. Mm -hmm. And I literally feel like the Lord went in and just went, because if I don't get this girl out of here now, she'll never go. And I can't accomplish the work I want to do in her while she stays in her comfort zone. And in the last five years, I've driven more places by myself into risky, bad neighborhoods and, and perfectly safe neighborhoods. And, and the Lord is using that to say, trust me, mm -hmm. trust me, pay attention to how anxiety manifests in your body because where else is this manifesting in an irrational, unnecessary way? And we need to break this curse. Yes. Yes. And you know, the root of worry, fear, and anxiety is putting our trust in something or someone yes. other than our Heavenly Father. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it is like, I kind of have this visual in my head where when, when worry, fear, and anxiety 
build up, it becomes this giant and God becomes this little, little midget. Yes. And, and <laughs> you know, it's like, a, it's like a, a float that you pump up. The more words you give to it, the more time you give to it, the bigger and bigger and bigger it gets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my daughter struggles with anxiety, which I could look back and realize that that was going on since she was three and it's in my family line and we just had, didn't have a name for it, right? Right. And so uh, one of the counselors advised her, stop running from it, run into it, run into it, work it out, face, face the anxiety, fear, and it will deflate. It, would you offer advice like that? Or do you have a different way of managing anxiety when it's onset? You know, that will often work, but I think we need wisdom when do we run into it and when do we stand and resist? Okay. Okay. Good. Go there. There are times when, yes, fear will push us away and fear will take our eyes off the problem solver and put our eyes on the problem. And that problem, the more attention we give it, the bigger it gets. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, scripture says, stand and resist the devil yeah. and he will flee. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a matter of saying, talking back to that anxiety and saying, you're not the boss of me. Yeah. yeah. I've got Jesus Christ who said on the cross, it is finished. And that means anxiety is finished and it can't rule me anymore. And when we will stand and resist yeah. and on the promises, we're not just, you know, we're not just giving lip service to it. Right. We're actually saying, no, I believe this, that God behind me is bigger than that giant in front of me. Yeah. I'm going to go to a passage I just read this morning. I'm, I'm doing this crazy Bible reading plan where I'm reading through the Bible in 90 days. It's nuts. I'm already two days behind, but you know, when, when we talk about stand, we often think of the Ephesians six passage and putting on the spiritual armor, mm -hmm. but here's a passage from Exodus 14. I know we've covered this like probably in like season one or two of the podcast. And the context is that um, Moses and Aaron have been telling Pharaoh about all the plagues that are coming and all the plagues are coming and, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And then finally they're released to leave and they head out into the wilderness. Right. And so we have um, Pharaoh finally the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. So there's that part in the, the podcast episodes on roundabout. But then when you went, that's in chapter 13, when you get to chapter 14, now it's the Egyptians change their mind and they're going to go after the Israelites and the, the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we're still in Egypt? To me, that all sounds like that conversation that we have in the face of fear. All the like, why? I can't believe you. The victim mentality, like totally like what you just said, focused on the problem rather than on the one who has the solution to the problem. 
And then uh, he, he, they go on to say, we said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. I'm like, where did these people get the idea that either death or slavery were better options than the life in the promised land? Right? And then it goes on, Moses told the people, and I wrote this down, I'm going to put it all over my house. Uh, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Yeah. You know, worry, fear, and anxiety take our focus and put it on that giant. But if we would just stand still and look up and use the power that God has given us, recognize that we live in the, the shadow of his love and he has given us the sound mind, which is the same mind as Christ. Yes. You know, Christ was in the wilderness being tempted mm -hmm. by Satan. Christ used scripture to come back. Yep every time he was tempted. And I think that's so important for us to understand that when we don't know what to do, there is so much power in yes. standing on scripture and praying scripture. Yes. God says yes. his word will never return void without accomplishing that which it intended to accomplish. Right. When we speak it out, when we pray it, yeah, it's going to be effective. Yeah. So when yeah. we say, God, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust that if I will stand still, you will fight for me. Yeah. He has to because he's not a liar. No. Satan no. is the liar. Yeah. And we give into his lies. We believe his lies. Yeah. Why? When God has always, always, always proven himself faithful. I know. I know. And it, I'm thinking about all the lies that I've, I've heard just in the last week from people who are struggling, uh, you know, lies like, um, well, I just don't understand God's word or it, the scriptures don't make any sense to me or that um, I, I just don't have time or I don't, I don't know if that will make a difference. Or, I don't know if I go to counseling, if that will really help. Like there are these at, at the root of all of that is the enemy's handiwork, in my opinion. It's and all that. Yeah. And I feel like with millennials, especially, and, and this isn't to throw a millennial under the bus, but in my study of generational differences, the traditionalist generation, which is, you know, they're, they're like the 19, 20, 30s, 40s babies. They, they had a work ethic that was, you do it hard. It was normal. And I feel like every generation has come since has gotten to become um, subject to the idol of comfort. And, and so the idea that reading your Bible might not be fun or that reading a passage might not have a personal application at the moment is kind of the, the struggle. And, and yet, if we don't discipline ourselves and, and discipline it, it can be a dirty word in today's culture. If we don't discipline ourselves and read the word of God, the Holy Spirit, you were saying this before, has, has nothing to draw upon. Right. We won't know the voice of God because it will be drowned out by everything else that we are listening to, whether or not we are intentionally listening. 
Yeah, and the sad thing is, is that I have found it to be true in working with patients that you've got to decide what you believe before crisis hits. And then I talk about that in Breaking Anxiety's Grip. And the reason is, is because in that moment of crisis, Mm -hmm. you're going to fall back on what your core beliefs are. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we were on our way to my husband's oncologist appointment, and I got the phone call that nobody ever wants to get. And it was my own doctor. And she said, I hate to tell you this, Dr. Langston, but you've got cancer. I know. You need to schedule surgery. And, and I was stunned because I would not have been surprised if we'd gotten to my husband's doctor and they said, mm, it's not going well. We'd had enough history. He said he answered three times. So that wouldn't have surprised me. But for the doctor to tell me that, yeah. I thought, this can't be happening. Yeah. Like you got the wrong patient. I'm yeah. perfectly healthy. I went to you because something was a nuisance, you know? And in that split second, as I sat there, I realized I have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. I can either choose to go down worry, fear, and anxiety, or I can choose to believe that this does not take mm-hmm. God by surprise. Mm-hmm. And whatever the truth is, God's big enough to handle it. In fact, he already knows how he's going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. He has been faithful every difficult circumstance I've ever faced in my life. So I have no reason to doubt him now. Mm-hmm. And I had to make that decision right then, or I would start giving worry, fear, and anxiety a place in my heart and my mind. Yeah. And that's not good for your health either. No. So in that moment, I thought, no, I'm going to fall back on what I believe. Yeah. But that's why you have to know what you believe before the crisis hits. And that's where that discipline that you're talking about, about being in the word. If I've not had a history of studying his word and testing God to see, watch him fulfill his promises. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, the patients that come into my office who don't have that. Yeah. I don't know how they make it. I know. Without having the promises of God to stand on. That has always been my go-to. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you said it, the patients that come into your office. So there is a place where anxiety, fear, worry, depression, you can't, I, I, I call it the storm cloud. You can't get out of the cloud. And so you need to go to somebody who can help lift that cloud for you and, and show you the path forward out, out of the storm. And so it's this both. And you, as believers, we can't do it without the word of God and the power of the Holy spirit, which is the gift given to us by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins is not just the promise of eternity and heaven and a better place uh, than this earth. But it's the promise of hope and healing here on earth that God has secured for us. And yet he will use his people made in his image in every kind of profession, in every kind of calling, in every kind of relationship with us to be facilitators of his healing work. And so for one person, that healing work may come through a, a spouse a pastor, a best friend. But for many of us, that healing work for seasons is we need the help of a therapist. That's just my opinion. 
I would even say a coach, but as a coach, I believe that the first, if it, if it is a debilitating um, mental challenge, the first course of action is a counselor. And from stability on, then you can work with a coach for the continued growth. That's just my, where I divide the lines. It's so helpful to have someone who can give that objective and educated opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's also a call to us to be in community yes. with the believers because iron does sharpen iron. Right. So sometimes it's a matter of going to counseling for a few months or yeah. a couple of years. But then after that, it's a yeah. matter of staying in community because we need each other. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I need people in my life who I've given permission to speak truth in my life who yep. can say, who, who are you really listening to right now? Because yeah. that doesn't sound like the word of God. Yeah. And it always hurts a little, but it hurts more to stay in my pain. So I'm grateful when they will point out, I'm not believing truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I still need, I'm a, I'm a neuropsychologist and I still need others to yeah. speak truth into my life. And that's, yeah. I think the way God created us. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, going back and we, maybe we could close on this back to this Exodus passage, you know, Moses told the people he was a leader, but he was also walking with them and being able to remind them, no, like you are, have faulty thinking here. Like we are not going back to Egypt. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And you know, the remarkable thing is I think there were nine plagues. I forgot. I counted them all those plagues that the Israelites had just witnessed that Moses said, this is what's going to happen. It happened exactly as God said. And still they're like, so we need each other. We need each other because of our own flesh. We are not going to see the way forward. We do the same thing. We mm -hmm. see God work in our life. We see him perform miracles. We yes. see his hand at work. And then somehow we listen to the enemy and we go back to worry, fear, and anxiety the next time something uncomfortable hits. Yeah. I'm so grateful that God is so gracious and merciful to us because if I was God, I'd be thinking, really? How yeah. many times do I have to show you? But he doesn't do that. He just says, okay, let's do this again until you get it this time. I know. So I grateful. totally agree. Totally agree. Michelle, I'm so glad that you were here with us today and that we were able to have this conversation. So I would love if you would close us in prayer. Uh, but before we do that, just tell everybody where they can find you again and, and the titles of both your books. I would love for you to say those too. They can find me on my website at drmichelleb.com. And I'm all over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Dr. Michelle Bankson. The first book was Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression. And this most recent book is Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace God Promises. And those are wherever books are sold, Amazon, mm. Barnes & Noble. Yeah, those sound like they could be great gifts with a note of encouragement. Well, and both of those issues are issues that even if your listeners don't struggle with them, they yeah. are so prevalent. I mean, by 2020, depression is going to be our greatest epidemic worldwide. So even wow. if your listeners don't struggle, they have a friend, a family member, mm -hmm. a pastor, somebody 
who needs these resources and they're biblically based and they take you right back to scripture because that's where the truth lies that and that's where our healing comes from i love it thank you so would you close us in prayer i'd be happy to father god i thank you so much for each person within the sound of our voice today i thank you lord that you know even the number of hairs on their head that's how much you care for each of your children and i thank you lord that it is not your plan your desire or your intent that any of us would struggle with depression or anxiety but that you have created a way for us to find help hope and healing based in your word father i pray that if someone is struggling with one of those issues that they would seek you first, but that they would also be open to the other ways that help can be provided, that we would look at it from a holistic perspective and realize that you have put people in our lives who can help walk this journey with us. But I thank you, Lord, too, that your word says that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you rescue those who are crushed in spirit and that that gives us hope, Lord because of your son Jesus who died on the cross, who said it, it is finished, that we can look depression and anxiety in that face and say, you don't rule me anymore. Jesus died so that we could live the abundant life. Lord, I thank you for the healing that you have planned for each of your children. We give you all the praise and glory for it in advance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the More To Be podcast. We are praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and His Word during your time with us today. If you'd like to show your support for the ministry of More To Be and our podcast, we'd love for you to become a More To Be Sisterhood member. You'll be blessed with our signature courses and resources while being a blessing to others. To learn more, visit moretobe.com slash podcast for a special link. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.